Someone asked me if we were going to uh, talk about the Lusitania tonight. We are not. Uh, The Titanic was enough from this morning. But tonight we will uh, draw our attention to two, well, John chapter 3 that was just read. And also, if you have your Bible, open it up to the book of Numbers. Turn back there. And uh, we're going to look at Numbers chapter 21. As you know, there are, and Gary just finished uh, a good study on uh, types and antitypes on Wednesday night. There are certain things, we, we are really blessed to live in the time in which we live because we have hindsight. We, we see not only the type, but we see the antitype. And uh, we get to look back on things that the prophets, they only saw the type and they, they wondered about the meaning of some of the things that they said. Even the angels desired to look into some of the things that God had said, but uh, it hadn't yet been revealed. But we live in a time when those things have been revealed. And so not only do we see uh, the beginning, but we get to see the end. And there is an interesting type that God gave in Numbers chapter 21. It was a shadow of something to come. And um, I doubt very seriously if very many people living in the days of Moses understood what was going on. But here's what happened, and, and we'll make commentary about what Jesus said about it. But the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness because of their unbelief, and they began to complain and murmur. God was making provision for them. Their shoes wouldn't wear out. Their clothing wouldn't wear out. He was providing food and water for them. The manna would come down from heaven, and they would take that and make food. Every day they had food uh, from heaven, bread from heaven provided to them. And they just, well, they got spoiled, um, ungrateful, and they began to complain. Man, I hate this stuff. I'm so sick of eating manna. I wish we could have something better than this. I'm just sick of this stuff. I wish, I loathe it. That's not the thing you say. Listen, if you go home and your wife or you've been at school and your mom has cooked all day long and you get there and you sit down at the table and then you see what she brings out and it's not what you just wanted or what you were hoping for, you don't say, I hate this stuff. Yuck. You know I don't want to eat this. You're probably going to be in for some trouble if you do that. And uh, if that's not, if that doesn't fly with uh, the one who prepared the meal for you, it's probably not going to fly with God either. God was really put out with their murmuring. And so he sent serpents among the people. And these serpents were poisonous. And they would bite the people. And if you got bit, you died. And so the people saw and recognized and put one and one together, and they realized that they had brought this upon themselves. And so they approached Moses and say, Moses, please go to God on our behalf. Intercede for us. Tell God we're sorry. Stop this plague. And so Moses intercedes for the people. And here's what God tells them to do. He said, Moses, get a pole and make a brass serpent and wind that serpent around that pole. And when you get that done, set it up and put it in front of the people 
so that the people can look at that. And if they look to that serpent raised up on that pole, they'll have life. Well, if you were an Israelite living back in the day and all this was going on, you would think, what in the world? What? Why do we have to look at that snake on a pole? I don't get it. What, what's the purpose of that? Hey, I'm glad it works, but I'm scratching my head as to where did that come from? Jesus in John chapter 3 gives meaning and shows us the substance to which that was just a shadow. It was a, it was a, well, you know, there's the difference between a shadow and substance are, it's pretty, if, if I stood in the light, you know, the street light here after it gets dark and we go outside in the parking lot and I stand in a parking lot and I cast a shadow. There are certain things you can learn from that shadow. You, you might be able to discern something about height. You might be able to discern something about size or gender or, you know, some other matters like that. But really getting right down to it and saying, well, now that, that person has blue eyes and a scar on their cheek. You, you can't do that from a shadow. Um, the Old Testament shadows gave us an idea of something to come, but they didn't fully help us to see clearly what it was. Jesus said in John chapter 3, do you remember back, way back to Moses, when the children of Israel in the wilderness and they were grumbling and, and Moses lifted up that serpent, that they looked to it, they were saved. Remember that? Well, that was a picture of the Son of Man who must be lifted up. He was talking about the cross. And just as those people, if they looked to the serpent, could be healed and have life, those who look to the cross of Jesus will also have life. That's the purpose for it. It was all, you know, here again is this eternal mind has this scheme of redemption and he's doing things way back when before it ever comes a reality and it's, it all makes sense. We have the, the privilege of hindsight. We see it after it's happened. But here's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to go back to Numbers chapter 21 and I want us to think as if we were one of those Israelites we live in the camp. We're plagued by these serpents. What would we do? What would we think? How would we act? Well, and that's what I want us to do. And here are the things that I think we would learn. Number one, one of the things that I would learn from this, this Old Testament event is that salvation was for anyone. It didn't matter I didn't see anything in Numbers chapter 21 where God says, if you have murmured ten times, it's not going to work for you. Only if you've complained less than five or seven times will this have effect. But if you go over a certain number, then you're done. It doesn't say that. People who had sinned, because of their complaining, they were given the opportunity to look to the cross or look to the, the pole, the brazen serpent, and have life. And there were no exceptions to that. He made it available to all. I 
that's one of the things you have to love about God is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We weren't people who were lovable when God made this plan or gave us this opportunity. The people who killed Jesus, who nailed him to the cross, they themselves had the opportunity to repent and turn and be forgiven. Jesus prayed to that end from the cross. Father, lay not this into their charge. He, he wanted uh, them to be forgiven. But salvation was for anyone. Romans chapter 3 tells us that there are none who are righteous, no, not one. Maybe your life has not been one of just, you know, going out and tearing up the town. Maybe you haven't done that kind of sin. Those of you who have and are forgiven, maybe you feel more gratitude to God for what he's changed in your life and the forgiveness that you have. But let me say something to those of you who haven't gone up and torn up the town. You're still a sinner. And I dare say this, you're more wicked than you dare to believe. But I'd also say this, we're more loved than we dare to understand or dare to hope. God loves us in spite of ourselves. And though you may not have gone out and done heinous things that could have gotten you arrested, you've sinned. And truth be told, you've sinned time and time again. We ought to be thankful to God that he is no respecter of persons and that if we can bring ourselves to repentance, he's willing and desirous to save us from our sins. That pole was raised up for anyone to look to for salvation. And it didn't matter how many times you sinned, it was there for them. Because God was gracious, and he's gracious for us today. Jesus didn't die just for the elect. He died for the sins of the world. And if we take advantage of that, God will forgive us. That's good news, folks. That's the good news of the gospel. So that's one thing I learned from this story. Another thing that I would learn is that, um, well, you know, put me in, in the camp of Israel. There would be no delay in my obedience to the remedy. Some snake slithers into my tent and bites me on the ankle, and I have heard about the, the, the pole that's set up in the camp over there. I'm not wasting time getting to that pole. I'm going immediately. I'm not going to say, well, you know what? I've got somebody coming by in a couple hours, and we were going to talk about some things about where we're going to put our tent pegs next week because we're going to move our tent about a foot. And, and as soon as I get done with that, I'm going to go over there and look at that. No, you wouldn't do that. If you had been bitten, it would have been a matter of urgency. You would not have delayed. You would have gone immediately to be healed because life and death hang in the balance. Why don't we treat our soul with the same degree of urgency? Life and death, eternal life and death hang in the balance. And yet how many times do we have people say, well, I know, I know, but not, not now. Maybe next week. I know what I need to do, but wait until... I can't today because... 
and we have reason, excuse after excuse. Listen, if I was in Israel and I had been bitten by a serpent, I would have right then gone and gotten to that pole so I could see it, so that I could be healed. And I'm just saying, I would hope that we would take a lesson from them and not waste time. If if you've been bitten by sin, you're dying. And as a dying person, as we talked about this morning, that we have a meeting with God someday, and you are dying. And if you're dying outside of Christ, unforgiven, man, why would you wait? What is there possibly that this world holds that would make you delay in your response to Jesus? Also, if I were living in the camp of Israel, wouldn't you help somebody else to see the pole? Let's say you get bitten and you go running out there and you look at the pole and you, oh, I feel better immediately. I'm not going to die. And so you go back home, your load is lightened. Life, you're not going to die. And you see as you're walking home, there's a person laying on the ground right there. He's been bitten. He, he can't. Would you not lean down and say, look, it's just right over there, and at least turn their head in the direction? Would you not help a person to turn their head in the direction of the pole? Or if somebody was on a stretcher, would you not grab one end of it and help take them to where that pole was so that they could live? Would you not be busy that... The other day, Jeremy Gillentine came in the office, and, and we had just received like, I don't know, 10 cases of paper, a bunch of paper... And, and he walked in, he saw that, and he stood there for a second and said, who's going to put that away? And, and what he was asking, he was, he was going to do it for us. Um, he saw a need, he was going to take care of it. It was within his ability. Would you not do that if you were living in the camp of Israel? Could you really, really? Could you walk back to your tent and zip it down and be done with it? As people were dying all around after you got healed, I don't think you'd do that. I think those of us who had been bitten and healed ourselves would spend the rest of that day trying to help people get to a position where they could look at that that pole, that brazen serpent. I think we would all do that. But then we come to the analogy and we think about Jesus How many of us have been cleansed, healed from the sting of sin, and we go home rejoicing, and we don't tell anybody about it? Our next-door neighbor lives in sin, and we don't help them see the cross or point them to the cross. Our family, our children, our wives, our husbands, our our moms and dads, they're lost. They've been bitten by sin, and they're doomed they're dying eternally and we don't talk to them or don't try to help them or point them to the cross see we would never do that if it had to do with the physical matter but spiritual which is more important we seem to struggle with that i know what i would do if i was in the camp of israel i would help others to see john or rather, the book of Luke, chapter 19 and verse 10, says that Jesus came to seek 
and to save that which is lost, and that's what we need to be about. Also, here's something else. There was no other remedy. God didn't say, all right, well, Moses, tell the people this. They can either go over here and look at this this brazen serpent that you raised up, or they can... He didn't give any other alternative. It was this or nothing. You did what he said or you died. It was just that simple. You wouldn't argue the point, would you? You wouldn't, if you were bitten and you're sick and you're so sick you can't even walk and you're, you're down in your tent and somebody says, bursts in your tent, knocks the flaps open, runs in and says, listen, good news, I was just down the street here. And Moses, I heard him say that God spoke to him and he had him build a pole and he put it up. And if we'll just look to it, we can be saved. Somebody wouldn't say, yeah, well, what's plan B? They wouldn't argue that. No, 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 there's got to be some other way. I don't want to do that. That's all the way down the road. What else can I do? Is there something that I can do right here in the tent that will make it more convenient? We wouldn't think like that, would we? If you were in Israel and you had been bitten, you would have accepted the only remedy that was offered. How many people argue with God's remedy today? Jesus said, believe, turn from your sins, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And we think of all the reasons why there has to be another way. Well, you can't say that a person has to be baptized because what if they're out in a desert and they learn of Christ? Or what if, what if they're on a road and they're dying and have had a wreck and they're dying and you can't get them to water? You can't, there has to be another way. We argue that. People argue that today. There's one remedy that God gives. and We have to accept His gracious offer. It's like, well, you know, back to the Titanic. If, if you were in the ocean and you, you have fallen overboard and they throw you one of those life um, preservers, they throw that out there and has a string attached to it, and, boy, it's a perfect throw. It lands right beside you, and you hook your arm underneath it, and you look at it and say, wait a second. This one's white. I wanted that yellow one up there right beside it and you let go of it and tell them to throw you the yellow. You wouldn't do that. You take what's offered. And God has offered a salvation. We're in no position as people who have been bitten by sin to argue with God or reason with Him and try to tell Him there's a better way. Give me a second option. The Bible tells us in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, Jesus said the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Acts 4.12 reminds us that there's salvation in no other name given among men, whereby we must be saved under heaven given among men. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone. No other way. And then the last point that I'd like for you to consider is that really it wasn't necessary for them to understand. They just needed to obey. Now listen carefully to what I'm saying. I'm not saying we don't have to understand the things that God tells us we need to understand. But there are certain things that God does that I just don't get. I don't understand fully. Do you think they fully understood the ramifications of that brazen serpent 
and how it prefigured Jesus being lifted up on a cross? Do you think they understood? Not at all. I don't think anybody had a clue, Moses included. But they didn't have to understand all that. They just needed to obey. God, why would you do it that way? You know, I'm not going to go down there and look at that until you explain to me why I have to look at that. You wouldn't argue that. You'd be thankful and you'd do what he said, whether you understood it or not. You remember Naaman told to dip seven times in the Jordan River? And he thought there were better rivers from where he came from. And, and, but, you know, when he came to himself, see, he kind of argued, I don't get it. I don't understand why I have to do this, that, and the other. He didn't have to understand. It was for him to obey. Why did God choose the Jordan over his rivers? I don't know. And I don't know. And he didn't know. But I know that all he had to do is just do what he said and he'd be cleansed. When we sit back today and we try to figure out why God command, why do we have to be baptized? I mean, I, you know, we have to understand the purpose of baptism because God tells us that the purpose and uh, specifies that. But why, why baptize? Why, do we ha- why does the reenactment have to be with this water thing? Why couldn't you reenact it in some other fashion? I'm not going to sit back and say, Lord, until you explain to me why we have to be baptized to uh, come in contact with your blood, I'm not going to do it. When you explain it to me, then I'll obey it. I don't need to be told. I know what he said. I know what he said it was for, and I'm going to obey it for that reason, and I'll reap the benefits. Do you have to understand... Why unleavened bread for the Lord's Supper? Maybe you understand that, but I dare say there are Christians that would not understand that. Why wouldn't some other element uh, suffice? Why unleavened bread? And why fruit of the vine? Why not some other substance? And the list goes on and on. I don't need to know why. I just need to do it the reasons he told me, trust in him to do what he said, and he will. And so when I look back to this story from Numbers chapter 21, I see that it's all a part of God's design plan or or scheme, his designed uh, plan. God saw the sinfulness of the people, and he had Moses lift up a pole with a serpent on it, and he told them, if you'll look to it, you'll be saved. And then Jesus comes along several thousand years later, and then uh, he lifts the serpent, or I mean, excuse me, he's lifted up on the cross. And as people look to him, they too can be saved. All I'm asking us to do is to treat Jesus with the same respect that we would have treated Moses and his word if we were an Israelite living in the camp of Israel. I know what we would have done if we would have lived back then. It's obvious. The answer is obvious. 
I just want us to have and to live the kind of life where it's just as obvious today that we respond to the cross in the same way that those folks responded, responded to that brazen serpent. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, if you have been bitten by sin, listen, that bites will cost you your soul. There's no recovery from it. There's no ointment. There's no amount of good works. There's no amount of praying. There's no amount of pleading that will remove the consequences of that bite. There's only one thing you can do about it, and it's follow God's plan of pardon. He lifted up Jesus on the cross. Jesus died for you. And if you turn to him and trust him, and listen to him and follow his instructions, you'll have life. You won't have to die. Jesus again said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, do that tonight. I know what you'd do if you were bitten by a snake and you were dying, and the remedy's right over here. I know what you'd do. What are you going to do about your eternal situation, your soul? Pursue it with the same passion, more so, than you would if your life was at stake. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you have things in your life that, you know, maybe you haven't been the kind of person you've been forgiven. You've gotten your sins forgiven. The the bite of sin's been removed or the sting of sin's been removed from you. But you're going about your way and you're not paying any attention to the people beside you who are bitten and dying. Maybe you want to make your life right and say, I want to work harder at that and be more faithful and learn to reach out to people in effective ways to help them see the cross of Jesus. If that's the case, we'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.